Podcasts are pretty common. So what makes the Uncommon Podcast uncommon? Well, it's all in our name. I'm your host, Noah Weiss, and we at Uncommon Sports Group understand the unique pressures and temptations that come with a career in the sport industry. We provide uncommon training that helps you successfully navigate common challenges. Hit the follow button on this podcast. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Check out our website and become uncommon. What's up, USG fam? Welcome back to the Uncommon Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Noble Weiss. Have you ever wondered if all of the religions of the world lead to the same place? This can be such a difficult question for us as Christians to wrestle with because Jesus makes it clear in John 14, 6, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. To help us answer this question, I am excited to welcome accredited Christian apologist, and philosophy professor at Denver Seminary, Dr. Douglas Groteis, on to the podcast with me today. Dr. Groteis will be walking us through the core differences between the world's major religions to truly answer the question, can all religions be true? Dr. Groteis, thanks for your time today. You're welcome. Happy to be here, Noah. Absolutely. And Dr. Groteis, I think it'd be, it'd be great to hear, just to start off the podcast, a little more about your background in apologetics and kind of what your apologetics ministry looks like today. Yes, well, I think I could start at my conversion. I became a Christian in 1976 after having studied Eastern religions and some Western philosophy. I was very interested in atheism, actually, through the writings mm. of Sigmund Freud and Karl Marx and especially Friedrich Nietzsche. But uh, God got a hold of me in the mm. summer of 1976. I became a Christian. And shortly after that, I became very interested in defending the faith as true and rational and pertinent mm. to the whole of life, which is how I understand apologetics. Yeah. Key to that was reading Francis Schaeffer's book, The God Who Was There. Mm. So I started reading as much as I could in apologetics and theology and learning the Bible and so on. And uh, fast forward 46 years, <laughs> 47 years, here yeah. we are. So I teach philosophy at Denver Seminary. I've been here now for 30 years, written 19 books. And uh, my passion Mm. is to make the truth of God, the biblical truth, known to the world in a rational and compelling way. Mm. So that's what I want to be all about. That's awesome, Dr. Grotes. And I love love your testimony. It's very similar in some ways to mine. I mentioned it off the air to you that apologetics is really what drove me to to want to give my life to Christ, knowing his truth and his reality. And so I love these conversations. I know it's going to be valuable for the listeners. So thanks a lot for your time. And and so let's just dive right into it and, and trying to answer this question of can all religions be true? And what, I guess to start us off, what are the major world religions and how would you define the word religion? Right. Well, let's start with the definition. Scholars actually argue about this. They sco- they argue about everything, you know, that's <laughs> part of what makes them a scholar. But mm. I think the best definition of religion is something like a set of beliefs and practices that tries to rightly orient people to a sacred dimension mm. or a spiritual or a supernatural dimension. Mm. So that would differentiate 
secular philosophies mm. or secular worldviews from religious ones. So you could be an ardent atheist and, in a sense, be religiously committed to your atheism, mm. maybe like a Richard Dawkins or mm -hmm. a Sam Harris. Yeah, but you're not really religious in the sub substantial sense because mm. a religion has to affirm some sacred reality. It may be the Trinity, it may be Allah, mm. personal understandings, mm -hmm. or it could be something impersonal but considered transcendent like nirvana for buddhism or the Tao for taoism hmm. right so that's my basic understanding there are a lot of elements of religions there's always the doctrinal element what they mm -hmm. claim about reality and the human condition hmm. and salvation but of course religions have ritual elements historical elements moral elements hmm social elements but as a philosopher what i really focus on are the truth claims of mm. the various religions and you know there are many many religions in the world but uh, we can talk about the monotheistic religions mm. judaism christianity and islam which believe there is only one god who is the creator and designer of the world who is mm. providential and who reveals himself in the world mm. Now, there are differences among those three religions, but there's a unifying category of monotheism. Mm. And then we have pantheistic religions, certain aspects of Buddhism and Hinduism. And pantheism is the teaching not that there is a separate creator who mm. is distinct from the creation, but that everything is divine and everything is one. Mm. Right? So... You have that to some extent also in Taoism, in as much as Taoism positively affirms mm -hmm. anything. Mm -hmm. It's uh, a very non-cognitive kind of mystical religion. So when we think about the major world religions, we think of Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism. Mm -hmm. You also have Shintoism, you have indigenous mm -hmm religious traditions. You have newer religions, obviously, like the Baha'i faith, uh, Mormonism, and so on. But when you're teaching on what are typically called the world's religions, it's usually the monotheistic religions, and then Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism. Uh, you probably want to talk about Confucianism. Hmm. So those are the, some of the major world religions. Thanks for sharing on that, Dr. Grotez. I think it's important for our listeners to even just have that awareness of, you know, what are these these world religions? What, what are kind of the, you know, quote-unquote competing belief systems across the world that I need to be, as a Christian, prepared to understand and even mm -hmm. converse with others about? So that is very helpful. And and I loved your book. Um, all our, It's titled, Are All Religions One? Really good, very, very short, 30 pages or so, but does a great job unpacking um, these world religions and, and them compared to Christianity. And in that book, you talk about a really awesome picture and story of the elephant and the blind men. So I'd love for you to share with us that story and what it tells us about how the general secular society views religions. Right. Well, one view of religion, of course, is that they're all wrong, right? Mm, so yeah. uh, Frederick Nietzsche said, God is dead. He claimed that there was no God, there was no supernatural 
and we were left to our own creative impulses to find meaning in life. Hmm. So if someone is a hardcore atheist, secular, secularist, they think that all the religions are false. They might yeah. contain some significant religious teachings. Of course, they have a historical impact, cultural impact, and so on. But a very common idea for people who are not atheists is that all the religions of the world, or at least most of them, are teaching basically the same message, mm -hmm. but teaching the same message in a different way. And mm -hmm. there's a little parable of the blind men and the elephant that is used to try to make this point. And it's the idea that you have a number of um, blind individuals who are, for some reason, stumbling around an elephant. It's kind of a dangerous proposition when you think yeah. of it. And so one blind man feels the trunk and he says, oh, the whole elephant must be like the trunk, kind of hard and hmm. dry. And another elephant, uh, excuse me, another blind man feels the elephant's ear, which is silky. And he says the whole elephant must be silky. And another another man keeps switching him around, feels the uh, the feet and he feels the, or the tusk, you know, and he feels the ivory and he says it hmm. all must be smooth. And then you've got the, the blind man in the very dangerous place of the tail hmm. and he feels the tail and he says it's wiry. So the idea is that the world religions are like blind men and they take part of the whole and attribute it to the whole. Hmm. So Buddhists would falsely say, we have a corner on reality. We know what the elephant is. Hmm. Christians say we have a corner on reality. We know what the elephant is. But really, you need this bigger, broader perspective of the whole elephant. Hmm. So each religion gets part of the truth but when it tries to absolutize and universalize the truth it goes wrong mm. so to switch metaphors you have to sort of stay in your lane mm. so if you're a christian you have christian beliefs christian practices that's fine for you mm. if you're a buddhist you have buddhist beliefs and practices same for islam etc mm. right yeah. now it's a kind of compelling little parable or mm. analogy but when you try to give an argument from analogy you have to make sure the analogy works mm -hmm. so <clears throat> what happens with religions is nothing like the blind men and the elephant because to go to Buddhism uh, the Buddha preached what he called the four noble truths mm. these were not the four interesting perspectives that I happen to have yeah. in my setting, you know, given my situation. Buddhism claims to know ultimate reality. Mm. And it sums it up in this Four Noble Truths. And yeah. Christianity claims, of course, that there is one true creator, personal, mm. relational God, who has made the sacrifice for our sins mm. through Jesus Christ. And that is the one absolute universal truth. Mm. So, Buddhism, which says the ultimate reality is something called nirvana, which is a, a state of being beyond craving and desire, mm -hmm. and you have Christianity saying the ultimate reality is God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, those two things cannot both be the ultimate reality because mm -hmm. they have incompatible properties, mm -hmm. right? So, this little parable, or maybe better put this argument from analogy, mm -hmm really doesn't do any rational work whatsoever. 
uh, it basically clouds things over. Yeah. And it's also rather insulting to all the religions because yeah. it's saying that each religion is like a blind man who doesn't understand the whole. Hmm. When religions always make truth claims about mm -hmm. the nature of reality. Yeah. You know, what is the ultimate reality? Who are we as human beings? What is the human problem? How ought humans respond to the sacred dimension? Is there an afterlife? Is it heaven, hell? Is it karma, reincarnation? Mm -hmm. Is it the possibility of nirvana? So we've really got to get in the thick of competing truth claims and then get into some arguments mm -hmm. and brush aside these very unhelpful uh, stories, parables, basically. Absolutely. So well said. And I think it's important for our listeners. That's why I love that you pointed it out at the end to really understand that each religion does make a very uh, unique truth claim that honestly contradicts all the others, that there is no really uh, synonym in between all the, all the world religions. And so it's important to know that, yeah. especially in terms of that analogy, which can, I think, cause that confusion of, oh, they're all, all kind of reaching towards the same object yeah. when in reality. Well, there are other images that confuse people, too. People say that all the streams lead into the same ocean. Yeah. Great. What does that have to do with comparative religion? Right. You know? Exactly. Or, or all you have a number of roads that all reach the mountaintop. Hmm. Well, maybe you do, maybe you don't. Maybe some of them go off the cliff. Yeah. And even if some of them or all of them make it to the mountaintop, that says nothing hmm. about the rational assessment of religious truth claims. It's Absolutely. just a dodge, basically. Absolutely. It's so well said. And, and even just getting into that as well, I, I love that in your book, you took the time to compare Christianity, Islam, and non-dualistic dualistic, excuse me, Hinduism by their teachings on some of the core elements of ultimate reality, the nature of humanity, and spiritual liberation. So I want to take some time to to walk through those comparisons so the listeners can really see how these major world religions uh, differ and how, and how in some ways they even agree. So I guess, how to start us off, how do the major world religions compare when it comes to ultimate reality? Yeah, by ultimate reality, we mean the fundamental existence. Mm -hmm. So what is, you might say, the most real or the most important and as I mentioned at the beginning, all religions claim there is some sacred or spiritual realm hmm. that should be our ultimate concern hmm. in life for uh, spiritual liberation, spiritual flourishing. So all religions teach there is some final or supreme reality, but they don't agree on what it is. Hmm. That's the key issue. So you can divide the religions in one sense philosophically into the the personal theisms, often called monotheism, so Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And then there are versions of Buddhism and Hinduism that have a personal God, but they're not right at the center hmm. of the religion the way you have it with Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And then you have other religions that understand the ultimate reality as something impersonal and ultimately unrelated in any dynamic communicative way with the creation mm -hmm. so with uh one element of or one school of hinduism called non-dualistic hinduism mm -hmm. which has influenced the west a lot especially through the new age movement the ultimate reality is considered brahman but brahman is not a personal relational 
rational being. Brahman is something beyond form, beyond thought, beyond mm -hmm. category. And somehow we and everything are one with Brahman. Mm -hmm. But there's no real gospel of Brahman. There's not the good news <laughs> that Brahman has done something to save us or free mm -hmm. us from our bad karma or anything like that. It's mm -hmm. rather that the, the essential human problem is not sin against a holy God, as Isaiah experienced it in Isaiah 6, mm -hmm. or we're taught about in, in Romans chapter 3 and so on. Mm -hmm. The problem is ignorance. Somehow uh, God is suffering from a kind of divine amnesia so through meditation and yoga, we find God within ourselves. Mm -hmm. Now, that's just a radically different view yeah. than uh, the monotheistic religions, mm -hmm. which all claim that we have sinned against God and something needs to be done about that uh, from God's initiative. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, the big dividing point here is between Judaism and Christianity taken as a whole, that Judaism, the prophets, the nation of Israel lead up to Messiah, Jesus Christ. Hmm. And then we have the new covenant. We have the completed revelation from God. And there's grace there. God is holy, just, and good, but God hmm. shows his grace in the covenants. He shows his grace in the love of God in Jesus Christ. And so hmm. we repent and we come to Christ to do the work of forgiveness for us. Right? Mm -hmm. And then, over 500 years later, Muhammad comes along and goes into a cave and claims to have a new revelation from the one true God that ends up contradicting the revelation we have in the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament. Mm. And he puts it back on works, that mm. if you attain enough good works, then you might merit paradise or you might not merit paradise. Mm. So... There's like a continuity <clears throat> between what God revealed to the ancient Jews and to the early church. You see that in Scripture. The New mm -hmm. Testament is fulfillment mm -hmm. of the Hebrew Scripture. But then, over 500 years later, Islam comes along and says, no, we are the ultimate fulfillment. Mm -hmm. And in fact, we are going to correct the errors that have gotten into Christianity mm -hmm. and gotten into Judaism. And I don't know if you know it, but I have a new book uh, that in some ways is kind of an elaboration of the booklet we're talking about mm -hmm. called World Religion in Seven Sentences. Mm -hmm. And I address those kind of claims in that book. So some people make this total error and say all religions teach the same thing, mm -hmm. blind men and the elephant, or the same message in, in different languages, something like that. So that's a really big metaphysical philosophical error right mm -hmm. but then there's another kind of error which is not quite as bad but still bad mm -hmm. and that is you talk about the abrahamic religions so you say they're all rooted in father abraham who received covenant from god mm -hmm. so you have judaism christianity and islam and those are really three manifestations or three expressions of the same basic religion which is monotheism. Hmm. And that's simply not true. Um, the message of Islam especially is an anti-gospel. Mm -hmm. 
denies the gospel given to us by Jesus and in the New Testament. And Paul's very clear in Galatians 1. He says, if anyone comes to you preaching another gospel than the one we preach, the gospel of grace and the atoning work of Jesus, let him be eternally condemned. Hmm. And isn't it interesting that Muhammad claims to have received this revelation from an angel? Hmm. Yeah. And the angels mediating words supposedly from God, from the God, Allah, hmm. contradict the clear gospel message of the whole Bible. Really. Yeah, yeah. So we can't just lump things together hmm. and think everything's fine, we can all get along, the differences don't make a difference. They, they make a difference philosophically and they mm -hmm. make a difference in terms of the Christian's message to the world. Because hmm. we have a gospel. Mm -hmm. it, it's not just a worldview, it is, but it's new. It's a mm -hmm. declaration. Jesus has come. Repent the kingdom of God mm -hmm. as it had. And unless you believe in me, you'll die in your sins. Mm -hmm. So this is a powerful message to take to the world. And yeah. we need to be clear, you know, what the biblical worldview is and how it relates to the worldviews of these other religions. It sure does matter. And I think I love that you pointed out some of those core differences because I think they're not just philosophical, as you mentioned, they, they have eternal consequences. And, and that's why we care about this topic is not to be right um, and, and not to have pride in, in our knowledge. But I think more so it's we want the world to know there is only one truth, and that is in, in Jesus Christ. And I love that you right. started elaborating on how each of the religions have a different view on the fallen nature of humanity. And, and one of the core elements, as you know, of Christianity is the doctrine of total depravity that all have sinned, and Romans 3.23 says this, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I know you mentioned it a little bit, but how do these major world religions view the human condition as compared to how we view it as Christians? Right. Well, Judaism and Christianity both understand human beings to be made in the image and likeness of God, mm -hmm. and that we are fallible and we are prone to disobey God to not love God with all of our being and not love our neighbors ourselves. And this is, you might say, elaborated on or clarified on, uh, clarified especially by Paul in the book of Romans hmm. about how the sin of Adam affected all subsequent humanity. Yeah. So we are congenitally, congenitally disabled from saving ourselves. No amount of good works. Mm-hmm but ever save us uh, because yeah. of the effects of the fall. Now, I had an interesting conversation a few weeks ago with a Jewish rabbi about the idea of sin in the Old Testament. And Jewish people, even if they have a pretty high view of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, don't believe in the power of original sin the way we as Christians do. Hmm. And I, it looks like I'll be having a a dialogue with this rabbi coming up in October at a mm. school, which I'm really looking forward to. Yeah. So I, you know, I took him to Psalm 51, where David says he was conceived in iniquity and sinful from his mother's womb. Mm. I said, well, rabbi, what does that really mean? It seems like he came into the world profoundly disabled and unable to please God. So we, we had a, an interesting discussion about that. Mm. But <clears throat> the Jewish and the Christian views ultimately... I think are one when you see the Hebrew Bible in relation to the New Testament. You see all these themes fulfilled, all these prophecies fulfilled in Jesus. 
when you read the New Testament, you're constantly seeing citations yeah. or paraphrases of the Old Testament. But uh, the real break, of course, is with Islam. Mm-hmm. Because Islam does say that Allah is most merciful, but you really have no idea how or when he's going to show his mercy. Mm. So Muslims must never assume they're going to paradise because they do not know. Mm. They have to simply do as many good works as possible. The only way they can know is if they die in a jihad. Then they are guaranteed to go directly to paradise. Wow. How different is that from the message of the scripture? Maybe you know, different. And God so loved the world, he sent his only son, that whoever believes on him will not perish, but have everlasting mm-hmm. life. That's a promise. Yeah. You know, yeah. Or Jesus saying, if you're truly my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Amen. John 8. Amen. Uh, uh, what is it, 31, 32 in there. Mm-hmm. So you've got the monotheistic religions that realize there's some problem between the perfect creator and uh, the imperfect creation and human evil and human rebellion. But then you've got other religions like non-dualistic Hinduism or original Buddhism mm-hmm. that don't set things up in that way at all. The problem is basically life is full of suffering. That's the first of the Four Noble Truths of Buddhism. Life is suffering. Mm. We are frustrated in not getting what we desire. We often have the things we don't want, like illnesses, bad relationships. Mm. And so the answer is not to be forgiven or have a hope that ultimately the creation will be freed from its bondage, as Romans 8 teaches. Mm. But that we can somehow, through mental discipline over many, many lifetimes, be released completely from the space-time material world. Hmm. So Hinduism and Buddhism have no, or Taoism, have no doctrine of cosmic redemption. Hmm. And really no doctrine of personal redemption. So instead of uh, reincarnation, excuse me, instead of resurrection, there's the, the idea of reincarnation, hmm. that you have bad karma to work off, so you come back in another life to work off the bad karma, get some good karma. Hmm. But eventually, you leave the wheel of suffering. It's called the wheel of samsara mm-hmm. completely and attain a state. In Hinduism, it's sometimes called, well, actually, it was originally called nirvana in Hinduism, and that term was taken over by Buddhism. Hmm. But uh, Hindus sometimes talk about a state of uh, moksha or liberation. Mm. Yeah. And it's not being in a redeemed community in fellowship with God. That's Christianity. That's mm-hmm. Revelation 21 and 22. That's yeah. 1 Corinthians 15. Yeah. It's out of this world, away from matter, time, space, just freed from the suffering that is intrinsic to the world. Now, the biblical view is that God created the world good and very good, yeah. Genesis 1. Yeah. But it's fallen. But yeah. it's originally good, and that goodness is based on the uncreated, perfect goodness of God himself. Hmm. So the reason we have suffering and death and cruelty and pain is because of the fall. It's because hmm. of what happened in Genesis 3. Yeah. But since God is good and a personal being, mm-hmm. and he made the world good, the world and everything and human beings within it are redeemable. Yeah. You know, 
not everyone will be redeemed. Mm. Jesus talked about the separation of the sheep and the goats in yeah. Revelation, or rather in Matthew 25, certainly. Mm -hmm. But the Christian has a very profound rational hope for redemption. Mm. And it's not simply sloughing off or shedding the <laughs> material body. Yeah. And just getting out of this hellhole of a world and being freed mm. from uh, birth and rebirth, the karmic yeah. necessity. It's it's a hope in the forgiveness of sins, being justified mm. through the work of Jesus, having your sins separated from you as far as the East is from the West, and having the righteousness of Christ given to you, imputed mm. righteousness. Um, it's It's very... It's very profound. Hmm. Uh, I should say the righteousness of Christ attributed to our account is the better yeah. way of putting it. Yeah. And then eventually being freed from uh, the, the power and presence of sin entirely. So mm -hmm. in this world, before we're glorified, we're freed from the penalty of sin mm -hmm. and much of the power of sin. But in the world to come, we'll be freed from the presence of sin and the power of sin. So... Mm. When you look at uh, Revelation 21 and 22, yeah. it's a place where there's no curse, no tears, yeah. no pain. It's like a temple, a garden, a city. Mm. But it's real people interacting as human beings in their glorified bodies with their creator. And yeah. uh, there's no other religion that has anything close to that. Yeah. And, it's, and it's based on evidence, you know. Mm. It's all based ultimately on what Christ has achieved. Yeah. You know, because he is resurrected hmm. and he is at the right hand of the Father. Yeah. He will come back and one day resurrect us. That's the teaching of 1 Corinthians 15. Mm -hmm. So the resurrection is sure. We have good evidence for it. Yeah. And it's a foretaste hmm. of a resurrected world for the redeemed. Yeah. That's, that's just gloriously good news. And hmm. that helps get you through some tough times. Sure does. Sure does, Dr. Grotes. Thanks so much for sharing on that. It's, I think, very important, again, to understand as a Christian, okay, what do these other world religions believe and think about the human condition, total depravity? How, how do they view that and how do they overcome that? And, and I think as believers, we can see so obviously the sin in the world. And, and even from our youth, we can see the sin in our own lives. And so it's, it's as you mentioned, a very comforting reality to know that there is a, a sense of spiritual liberation from that via the, the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Yeah. And, you know, even just diving into that more, you sort of touched on it a little bit, but these major world religions discuss a different element, a different level of spiritual liberation, whether it be, as you mentioned, in, in Islam, doing the good works, not even having assurance in that. So just, just share quickly, if you have any more thoughts on it, how do these different world, world religions view spiritual um, freedom and liberation? Right. Well, it basically comes down to, are you saved by good works? Are you saved by the grace of God? Hmm. Or are you saved through some mystical experience of a spiritual reality? Those are really the three categories. And then there's some religions that are not all that specific about salvation per se. Yeah. For example... Uh, Confucianism doesn't mm. talk a lot about that. It talks about the way of heaven, the way of propriety, mm. but it doesn't have a kind of 
recipe or formula for spiritual liberation. The same would be true of Shintoism. But if yeah. you're talking about um, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam on one side, the monotheistic side, and then talking about Hinduism, Buddhism, and Taoism hmm. on another side, they do advocate some kind of, of spiritual liberation because all religions teach that there's something wrong with humanity mm -hmm. and somehow it can be rectified through religion. And Christianity, the teachings of the Bible, give us a very bleak assessment of the human condition. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Mm. And there are none that are righteous, no, not one. All our righteousness is like filthy rags to God. Yeah. However, the ones who have sinned are great, have yeah. a great standing in creation because they're made in the image and likeness of God. We're not mm. junk. Yeah. We're not uh, meat machines. Right. But neither are we gods. Yeah. We're creatures. Yeah. So the creature who is made in the image and likeness of God and has a unique dignity in the world is still terribly fallen. Hmm. And the higher something is, the more damage it can do. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. uh, snails don't do a whole lot of harm. Uh, mosquitoes <laughs> do a fair amount of harm, but you know, they're kind of low on the order of being, but human beings, my goodness, you have Hitler's and Stalin's and hmm. mass murderers. And then you have human beings that produce great works of art and are moral heroes. Hmm. So how do we even understand the human condition? Yeah. Well, we're great and noble by virtue of our origin, mm -hmm. and we're fallen by virtue of our rebellion against God. Yeah. And so the answer is not within us. Mm. It's outside of us. Yeah. The answer comes from the top down, from the work of God in Christ. So we, you have to go to the lowest level, bow the knee, mm. bow the life uh, as a creature and as a sinner yeah. before God contrition, humility, mm. but God says that he opposes the proud, but exalts the humble, mm. right? The meek will inherit the earth. Yeah. It's just a beautiful, rational, mm. compelling worldview. And I've studied the various religions of the world now for almost 50 years. And really, while all religions have certain themes in common and certain yeah. traditions in common and so on, there's no message, there's no worldview like the biblical message of creation, fall, redemption, consummation. And it's backed up. I have this big apologetics book, um, simply called Christian Apologetics. It's a textbook. And I have taught apologetics now for 30 years at Denver Seminary hmm. and before that. And so I put together a first edition of this book in 2011. Mm-hmm. Was 750 pages, and I decided that was too short, <laughs> so I came up with a second edition. Now it's 850 pages. Wow! Wow! <laughs> and uh, I give it a good shot, and I try to engage the other worldviews, the other religions, mm. honestly and fairly and critically. And at age 66, having been a Christian now for 47 years, I'm I'm more convinced and more passionate about the truth mm. of Scripture and the power of the gospel than I ever have been. It's amazing. So encouraging for our listeners, Dr. Grotes, I think, to to hear that from you, um, you know, someone who, who studies this for a living. Yeah. It, it is encouraging for us. And I, I do have that book on my shelf at home, so it's uh, 
definitely highly recommend it to our the listeners. The quiz is next week. <laughs> so get busy. I'll do my best. <laughs> I'll do my best. And, I, you know, I do want to go back to this story now that we've covered some of the core elements of, of these world religions, the story of the elephant and the blind men. How can we as Christians view that analogy and other analogies similar in light of these essential differences across the world religions? I think we should realize that the, these uh, little parables, these little stories have a pretty big effect on people. Mm-hmm. And you've got, as I said, a variety of them. You've got the idea that the various streams go into the same ocean. The same ocean is the spiritual reality. Mm. Different roads go to the top of the mountain. You all get to the top of the mountain. Yeah. Or another one would be, you could say the same message in different languages like German, French, Swahili, but it's the same message. Yeah. The problem is all these analogies or all these little stories just don't do the work. Yeah. They fail. It's sort of be like saying that all the different political ideologies teach the same thing. <laughs> you know, Marxism teaches the same thing as free market, teaches mm. the same thing as anarchy. No, they don't. Yeah, not at all. You know, they're different accounts of who we are as humans. Hmm. Different account of the good life, different account of what civil society should be, different accounts of what the state should be. Mm-hmm. So what do you have? You have disagreements. And when you have disagreements about important topics, mm-hmm. the worst thing to do is to pretend there are no disagreements. Yeah. The best thing to do is to try to know what you're talking about, mm-hmm. become knowledgeable, and try to have civil discussions mm-hmm. with people. And of course, as Christians, we want to go beyond civil discussions. We mm. want to be good neighbors. Yeah, We want to respect the religious freedom of our neighbor. But at the same time, we want to defend and commend the gospel as mm. true, rational, and pertinent for time and eternity. So yeah. that's it's a significant challenge Christians yeah. have to speak out and to be a strong witness, mm-hmm. pray for our neighbors, and... Yeah. To know something about what we're talking about. Yeah. You know, it, it really helps if you have a Muslim neighbor to know a little bit about Islam. Yeah. If you have a Buddhist neighbor, know a little bit about Buddhism. And you can know things from reading and videos and from our little video. But it's always really significant to have try to have a conversation with people. Absolutely. Because, you know, there's Buddhism as a history and as a mm. worldview yeah. and then there's individual buddhists and individual mm. buddhists have their own experience their own belief yeah and you're dealing with a unique human being mm. so you need to do a kind of assessment or analysis of who they are as people mm. not just what belief system do they hold to mm. you know it's a both and yeah but you want to do a kind of testimony analysis too like yeah could be, you know, your Buddhist neighbor had a Christian relative who was really obnoxious and overbearing. Mm-hmm. And so anytime they hear Christianity, they just want to run. Mm-hmm. So you have to factor that in, yeah. in how you talk to this Buddhist neighbor, this Muslim neighbor, whoever mm-hmm. it is. Yeah, it's very well said, Dr. Grotes. And it's, you know, it's so true. You think about the, the reality that if, if we're going to be sharing our faith and then that's our calling, Matthew 28, you know, 16 through 20 mm-hmm. is very clear about that. I think there has to be some work that goes into it of understanding what do other people believe? How can we 
minister、mm-hmm. to them in a loving way, as you mentioned. That's also an important element to it. But I think that's why、yeah. this conversation is valuable. And I think that's why it's important、yeah. to have an understanding. Well, I come back to Ephesians 4 15 a lot, where Paul's talking about the church becoming more mature, the body、mm-hmm. of Christ. Yeah. But the principle applies to everybody. He says, speak the truth in love.、Mm. So the temptation is to speak the truth without love. Yeah. And to be dogmatic and obnoxious, <laughs> or to be loving in a sentimental way that doesn't have a truth backbone. Yeah. So, what we want to try to do is speak the truth of God, the Bible, the gospel, do it in a patient and kind、yeah. and servanthood、hmm. kind of way. Yeah. Which, you know, involves learning how to listen,、mm-hmm. uh, not talking too much. Yeah.、Um, Sometimes Christians talk too much or talk too little. You know, like <laughs> we don't share the gospel at all, or we just never shut up and listen to what the other person has to say. So,、mm. gospel and apologetic conversations are very significant.、Mm. No、and、doubt. through friendships over time. Yeah. Very significant. And there's another dimension that I want to emphasize, and that is that we're not only dealing with a conflict of ideas, we're dealing with a spiritual battle. Mm hmm. So,、yeah. Paul's very clear that, you know, we are dealing with demonic forces who want to、mm. keep people in subjection, who want to、yeah. keep people in bondage. Yeah. So, when we're bringing the gospel, which is the power of salvation to all who believe, Paul、mm. says in Romans 1,、yeah. uh, the enemy wants to keep people in the dark and、yep. wants to deceive them because he's the father of lies, John、mm. 8 44. Yeah. So, we need to have on the full armor of God, Ephesians 6, 10 through 19.、Mm-hmm. We need to be prayed up.、Yeah. We need to ask the Lord to give us the right words at the right time. It's not just you need to be sharp and knowledgeable. You do.、Yeah. And the Holy Spirit should be our guide in knowledge and intelligence.、Yeah. But also, we need the kind of character,、hmm. you know, the fruit of the Spirit love,、yeah. joy, peace, patience, kindness. We need all of that. And realize that even though we may be talking to a very interesting, kind person that we like,、hmm. there are evil powers, there are demons that want to keep them in subjection. Yeah. So we have to keep that in mind and kind of fill in the landscape in our imagination、hmm. and you know, keep pressing in to the truth because Hebrews 4 12 says the word of God is living and active, sharper、yeah. than any two edged sword. Yeah. So we communicate. The scripture, you defend the scripture, have a reason for the hope that is within you,、mm. present this with gentleness and respect. Yeah. Speed of 315. Yeah. That can be very powerful, but you're in for a fight. It's just、mm-hmm. the way it is. Yeah. Until we're with the Lord, we're in a battle. No doubt. I love that you pointed that out. It really is. And, you know, I think that's part of that battle is this increasingly popular view that all religions are true. I think in postmodern. America and postmodern in the world in general, this has become so popular. And for our listeners, a lot of them are in the Gen Z,、um, you know, in their 20s or, or, or older or younger, in between that.、Um, it, it's, a, it's an increasingly popular viewpoint. So it's important to have an awareness and understanding of how can、mm-hmm. I minister this truth in love and, and do it in a way where God's name can be glorified in Christ and we can share that truth. So thanks、mm-hmm. for pointing that out. It's a very essential element. And, and Dr. Groteis, there have been multiple attempts 
to reconcile these major differences among the world religions. And you mentioned in your book, John Hicks' religious pluralism. What do we know about this theory, and can it be true? Right. There's a lot to that, and I can only kind of give the the Cliff Notes version, if people yeah. still know what Cliff Notes are. <laughs> it's like the really simple um, presentation of it. Mm -hmm. but, uh, John Hick was a philosopher of religion, and he began his career as an evangelical Christian, yeah. but moved very far away from it. And he said, we can't really talk about the ultimate reality as God. We have to talk about it as the real. Hmm. So the real can encompass the impersonal views of God and the personal views of God. Yeah. And somehow the real is expressed in all the religions. And all the major religions can help people be, go from self-centered to reality-centered. Yeah. Okay, so that's how he tries to include everybody hmm. in terms of religions are expressions of the real. Hmm. But uh, the way to deal with John Hick is to say, we have a lot more knowledge of the real than you think. Yeah. That is, we have the evidence for God's existence from the fine-tuning argument, from the beginning of the universe argument, from the moral argument. I spent a lot of time on this. Hmm my book, Christian Apologetics. So for John Hick's program to even get started, he has to deny biblical revelation as true. Yeah. Now, if you can give a strong case that biblical revelation is true, you have a foundation of natural theology, so there mm. is an infinite personal creator God. Yeah. When you add on to that the historical evidence, reliability of scripture, the identity of Jesus, his death, resurrection, and ascension, then John Hick's whole program is just gone. Hmm. Yeah. So that's one way of dealing with John Hick, yeah. is through a strong apologetic. Totally. Another way is that his idea of the real makes no sense. How mm. could you say that something, as he puts it, is neither personal nor impersonal, neither mm. one nor many, neither purposeful or non-purposeful? Mm. He starts to hollow out the categories of existence yeah. in order to include somehow all the religions as manifestations. Mm of the real. So this yeah. is a very, very short critique version. Yeah. I have a bit of a critique in my booklet and I have more of a critique in my Christian apologetics book. Hmm. Thanks for sharing on that. I thought it was an important point as well to, to just bring that up because it is a, a popular viewpoint um, and it's something that we need to, to tackle as believers. So a great way to, to break that down. Um, and I'm very interested too. I think it's, it's so confusing the way, the way you put it, right, of it is purposeful, not purposeful. It's funny how we can be so uh, kind of ambiguous in some of these these beliefs. So it's interesting. Yeah, and that's something I think is important to focus on is when you talk about religious truth claims, don't lose your rationality. Yeah. Because what a lot of people want to do is say, well, if we talk about science or medicine, we have facts and evidence and rationality. Hmm. And our life may depend on it. Yeah. in terms of medicine, physical yeah. treatment, right? But somehow when it gets to the spiritual realm, anything goes. Yeah, As long as you find it meaningful or there's a well-received religious tradition, mm. you know, you have the Buddhist tradition, the Hindu tradition, the Christian tradition. Well, why can't we just kind of accept all of them? Mm. Well, because of logic, facts, and reasoning. That's mm. why you can't accept all of them. Yeah. So you've got to make some judgments and this is where critical thinking comes in hmm. you know i 
my pers- my perspective is uh, may the best arguments win. I don't just say because I'm a Christian, <clears throat> my views are correct and the Bible's true. Therefore, everybody else is wrong. Yeah, I try to give strong, constructive arguments for the existence of God, reliability of Scripture, yeah. uniqueness, supremacy, finality of Jesus. Fairly deal with the other religions. What are their truth claims? Mm-hmm. And let's try to sort it out. And at the end of the day, the end of the lecture, everybody disagrees with me. At least we had a great discussion about it. Yeah. And uh, maybe you can give me a critique that I haven't thought of that I've got to put in my pipe and smoke, you know, and figure that out. <laughs> yeah. But I think uh, rational dialogue mm. is is important in yeah. a pluralistic setting. Mm. And it's not the enemy of apologetics. Some people think if you open up the discussion, you interact with unbelievers, then you're somehow compromising or you're on dangerous ground. Not mm. really. Yeah. You can always say, good point. Let me yeah. go think about that. Hmm. And maybe I can get back to you about it. Be humble. Yeah. But don't be an ignoramus. Hmm. The Bible doesn't uh, compliment the ignoramuses. Right? Yeah, 100%. We, we want to be knowledgeable believers. 100%. It's so important. That, that's why I love apologetics. I love your work. Um, and, and, and obviously, it's been cool to see in this conversation that it's more than for you just knowledge. It's also love and, and working that out in action. So I think that's important for our listeners, too. You can be knowledgeable, but... A lot of a lot of people miss heaven between the eighteen inches between their head and their heart, and it's important to have both of those in in uh, yeah. in, in the same in the same boat. Um, and, and well, not, I you know I love that. the prophet uh, Jeremiah, and in chapter twenty, he's actually rather angry with God because God gave him such a difficult prophetic ministry, mm. and he said, uh, "You gave me fire in my bones, and I tried to hold it in, but I can't. It has to come out." Mm. And Christians need fire in their bones for Amen. the gospel. Amen to that. And for apologetics, too. Yeah. Um, and it's holy fire. It's good fire. It's not yeah. anger, hmm. um, putting people down, insulting people, that kind of thing. But it's like Paul, when he went to Athens in chapter 17, verse 16, it says, he was greatly distressed at the idols of Athens. Yeah. But then he went out and engaged people. You know, they called him names. They called yeah. him a bird brain. <laughs> and then he gets into the Areopagus and preaches this magnificent apologetic sermon. So he's fired up mm. against idolatry and false gods. Yeah. But he keeps his cool because he's in the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, we need that fire of the truth needs to be known to the world. Amen. And we need to study, study to show yourself approved. Mm. And then we also need courage. So Paul said to Timothy, uh, who struggled with confidence sometimes, in 2 Timothy 1.7, he said, God has not given us a spirit of fear, mm. but power, love, and a sound mind. Mm. We're not a spirit of being timid. Yeah. So if you know the gospel, you're walking with the Lord, you're starting to grow in your knowledge of apologetics, then... Take it to the streets. Hmm. You know, open your mouth. Do something. Write something. Say something. Amen. And get the word out there. Hmm. Amen. I totally agree. And, I, and again, that's why this kind of conversation and even tapping deeper into it afterwards is so valuable. It, it allows us to be good ministers of the gospel. So very, very well said. And Dr. Grotes, you've talked a lot about apologetics, obviously a very important aspect of our faith, as you've mentioned. 
and I'm sure there's so much you could say in response to this question. So maybe another Cliff Notes version would be would be great. But why can we as believers trust that Jesus and Christianity is in and will always be the objective truth of our universe? Well, that's a that's a tremendous question, and that's why I wrote that gigantic book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is why I teach on apologetics. Uh, the short answer is that the biblical understanding of reality is internally consistent in the truth claims. It fits the realities of history and science and the human condition. Mm. And it gives us a a very deep, meaningful approach to life. Um, All of life, the joys of life, the suffering of life. Mm. So the idea is that the Christian faith is trustworthy, that is objectively true about Mm reality yeah and it's rationally satisfying there are many good reasons to believe in a creator designer god many of them coming from science especially in the last 40 or 50 years the fine-tuning argument the big bang cosmology the discovery of deep information patterns in biology in Mm. the dna and the rna yeah stephen meyer's done tremendous work on that yeah and then if you go from nature which says there is a creator and a designer to history and you look at historical revelation in the hebrew bible the life of jesus the early church these are not myths that were thought up 300 years later Hmm. they're rooted in first century the new testament first century documents written by the close followers of jesus yeah you have multiple testimonies you have extra biblical witnesses to uh, the reality of Jesus, like uh, Josephus and Tacitus and so on. So basically, when you look at the Christian message and you say, do we have reason to believe in a personal God as opposed to an impersonal God or no God? Yes, we do. Yeah. What about history? Who is Jesus Christ? Did he mm-hmm. live? What did he say? He claimed to be the atoning sacrifice for sins. He claimed to be God himself. And that's the best explanation of his claims and his credentials. Yeah. So if you want to go deep into this, uh, you'll face challenges. You know, people will question the reliability of the Bible. People argue against the arguments for God's existence. But Mm. my take is that we have a good and sufficient and adequate reasons Mm. to believe that this is objectively true. Yeah. And then, of course, Christianity is not just a true and rational account of existence. It's a way of life. God's a yeah. living God. Amen. So if you come to Christ and you're born again of the Holy Spirit, then God is living in you hmm. and walking with you and yeah. makes things known to you. And you read scripture. Hmm. And I've been reading the Bible now for almost 50 years. And the Lord speaks through the scripture. Mm. I've read some books of the Bible, who knows, 50, 60, 70 times. And I continue to learn and grow and I'm nourished by it. So there's that personal experience, relational element, which Jesus promised. He said, if if you follow me, you know, wells of living water will spring up within you. Amen. So there's that existential confirmation as well as the rational verification of it. Mm. Very well said, Dr. Grotes. And and for our listeners, I think 
I, w- I would love for them to continue in this journey of growing in apologetics. So where can they find your books? I know you said you wrote 19, which is awesome. Is yeah. there a website or a place they can find those? Yes, I have a website that is simply called douglasgrotheis.com. Awesome. And you'll have links to my books. Hmm. You'll have lots of videos. I do a fairly regular blog. You can sign up for that. Hmm. And I also have a podcast called Truth Tribe that hmm. comes out once a week. Awesome. Which is usually about apologetics or ethics or social issues, hmm. that kind of thing. So you can also find out about what I teach at Denver Seminary at denverseminary.edu. Awesome. We have a Christian apologetics master's degree here. Awesome. Well, Dr. Grotes, I, I am so thankful for your time and obviously for our listeners. Please use those resources. They will help you become a better minister of the gospel and more confident in what you believe. So thanks a lot for your time. You're welcome. Thank you. If you want to get involved with Uncommon Sports Group and the mission that we are on to help you navigate the sport industry as followers of Christ, apply for our academy on our website at uncommonsg.org. That's uncommonsg.org. Be sure to catch new episodes of the Uncommon Podcast every other week on Thursdays at midnight Eastern time. Until next time, we pray that you will strive to be uncommon by glorifying the name of God in whatever you may do. See you next time.